Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, coming to you for a very special episode. Uh, neither of us are in Syracuse. Julian's in Jersey City. I'm in Connecticut. We're both holed up for the coronavirus pandemic, and we figured we would give this a shot. Uh, we're doing this over Zoom video conferencing, so please excuse the quality if it's a little more quiet or if it sounds like I'm yelling because I'm trying to overcompensate for thinking I'm going to be quiet. We're figuring this out on the fly, um, but, uh, but it's exciting. You know, both of us have been holed up for a little while here, and uh, it's, it's fun to interact with some of you guys. Thank you for the questions. Uh, we're going to talk about what all of this means for Syracuse. Spring ball was cut short after three practices. We're going to talk about what those players can do kind of in the meantime, what the NCAA might possibly consider doing this summer and in the fall to make up for lost practice time and a lack of summer conditioning. And we're going to talk about whether we think there's going to be football this fall, quite frankly, and, and what it might look like. So weird times, but thanks for listening. I, frankly, I, I'm sure you don't have anything better to do because you should all be home staying inside and not going out for anything unnecessary. Uh, before we dive in, I need you guys to go subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Leave five stars. Tell a friend. Um, yeah, thanks as always. So all right, let's uh, kind of jump in. I, just off the bat, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts, Julian, on what this whole situation you think means, especially for the defense, to only have three practices to install the three-three-five. You know, coaches are still – first of all, the guys are still in shorts and T-shirts. And coaches yep. – telling guys their responsibilities before every play. Like they really didn't get to the point where they even had to begin to master it. So what, do, what does this mean? Yeah, obviously the developmental part is the, the scary part. It's, it's where um, coaches are like, especially Coach Baby's like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to install a new defense. And of course, I'm not around my guys. And that's when head coaches and coordinators start getting uh, real antsy about how they're going to install uh, their, their new scheme. So uh, I, I think the biggest thing is, is so far going to be the development and how these guys pick up the playbook and how they're going to learn this and try to replicate reps um, while they're all separated in the way. Um, I, I am sure that coordinators, position coaches are all sending out emails, reminders, or even having – sessions like these where they're sitting up and kind of going over hey what do you have and off of this edge blitz here what coverage are you in off of this check here and having ways just a video conference to get creative over how they're able to communicate and um that's just that's just got to be the fear right now for this coaching staff is uh, we're trying to put in a new scheme and now we're away from our guys and it's much harder to implement it because we're not on the field we're not getting a feel for it and guys are only able to deal with it or focus on it mentally and you never know how guys are going to come back because obviously coming back in shape and the impact it has on your body and what guys are ready and able to do so I think the season if it even happens at all uh, it's going to be very sloppy on the front end just because guys are one the scheme isn't going to be set in all across the country um, and then two you never know what kind of shape guys are in so uh, this this has never happened before it's, it's hard to predict, obviously, what uh, the NCAA is going to do. But it just seems like uh, right now the, the number one, like, in-your-face fear is just, dang, it's how are we going to put this defense in and how are we going to be able to communicate with our guys while we don't know how long this is going to last. 
it seems to me like I, I like I get you can have those meetings, you can go over all that, but there's zero live reps, like zero live reps in a whole right. zero times the middle linebacker has had to call out the play before the snap. Zero times they've had to make any kind of live check. Zero times anyone's had to make a tackle, do anything, full go. You can't replicate that, right? And there's no way that you can, you know, even through all these video meetings and all that, I, I didn't play football at a high level, but I would imagine so much of that really needs to be fixed playing yeah. at full speed, no? Yeah, no, that's definitely, I think, how most guys learn. And just because of the constant repetition and how the game is taught, um, a lot of guys become visual learners. So you luck out because you can still have these like a video conference where you can draw it up on the board and guys can see their responsibility. But it's, it's another thing to go from seeing it, understanding where you're supposed to be. Because trust me, I, I've been there where I go out there, okay, I know blue is cover three. I know blue is cover three. You hear blue, blue, blue. All of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot, cover three. The, the processing of it is the difficult part, just taking it from understanding it to acting it out in a physical manner. And that's the part that um, not having those live practices. And um, that affects the young guys the most, obviously, right? They, they don't know what they're doing, still taking in, every, taking in a new scheme. And it's going to affect this team in general just across the board because it's so new. But young guys in particular, especially with the new scheme, as everyone's kind of learning it, and it's, it, there's maybe not as many tutors uh, from teammates, uh, it, it, it's, it impacts you and impacts your growth. One, just because it, it pushes back everything that you were supposed to be doing. Guys who came in um, early their freshman year, uh, or early for the spring, I mean, um, those guys who are going to become sophomores, it's just, it stunts your growth because all of a sudden you're just out of the game in such a pivotal period because this is where you're really cementing your understanding of how you're supposed to operate in your position, how your position fits into the rest of the scheme. Um, that kind of carries you into your junior and senior seasons. Um, so it's, it's just, all around a very difficult developmental process for these guys right now, just because uh, they're not able to really allow themselves to enact everything that they're supposed to be learning right now. Yeah. In addition to the new scheme, you're replacing seven starters, including your linebackers for the third straight year. So you've got a bunch of linebackers who are not only learning the system, but don't really have a ton of game reps. Tyrell Richards and Jeff Kantanarku were kind of working as the ones to start the spring, although I know Michael Jones and Lee Koba, uh, Juan Wallace too, I'm sure. They were going to mix in a bunch of guys, but none of them – Michael's the only one who really saw regular time last year as far as defensive snaps go. Yeah. They just don't have a ton to work with. And they got a new linebackers coach who got one practice in. The only guy who knows the system inside and out is the defensive coordinator. Uh, although I, Vince Reynolds was running a lot of the, the stuff in the box. He was doing fits with the linemen and linebackers for the first few practices. And Tony White, the D.C., was kind of mostly hovering more with the, the defensive backs. And they're working on motions and different formations. And um, <clears throat> They hadn't fully brought all of that together yet, at least based on what I'd seen in those few days. So mm -hmm. uh, pretty alarming. What do you think – like it's like for, for the players right now like I see some guys yeah <laughs> like posting on Instagram all the stuff they're doing other guys are kind of keeping a lower profile like you've got social distancing how can how can these college football players who know they need to learn the system sort sort yes. that out on their own so that's that's a difficult part I mean that's that's this is where you really learn uh, about the kids you've been recruiting 
right? Uh, who Who is going to be the guys that actually stick to it and keep studying versus who are going to be and going out? And that's the other thing, too. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's getting a little bit warmer, uh, but guys down like in Florida and whatnot that can spread out and maybe go out. It's like I know for a fact, like if I was playing right now, PGA Tour, whatever it's called, like the fields would be open, right? I'm like, okay, cool. I can go get a workout in. I can stay in shape. And then I can stick with um, – whatever my coaches are sending me an email in terms of the scheme and what I should be looking at and studying. Um, but it's harder, say, if you're a guy from New York City. You're, not, you're definitely not, you know, going outside. It's, it's going to be rare to find parks and all those other places to uh, keep conditioning and, and, and keep up with uh, everything that you do at your position. So um, I, I, I just think it's very difficult for a lot of guys to um, keep up with their, you know, their sport and their position just because you're not supposed to really be doing that in the first place. And it's, and it's hard to find um, spots alone where you, you can really go out in some fields and whatnot, and there's not going to be a ton of people. And, um, but it, it seems at the same time, they're ignoring that. Right? Yeah. You see, we see guys that are catching passes from quarterbacks and, uh, you know, dapping each other up and it's like, mm, maybe they ignore it. So uh, my thing is, I think there's going to be a, group of guys who just commit to it like that this is their game this is sport like you know they'll have me tell you right they got to do something like it's hard to stay inside and there's going to be other guys who in my experience typically the linemen <laughs> are like you know what i'm gonna use this time to uh gain weight <laughs> or you know you know just just try to um stay inside and that those are the guys who come back and um, maybe they're a little bit heavier than they should be. And uh, I, I just think it's going to be a headache for strength coaches across the country um, when it comes back, when it comes time for everybody to come back and things start to you rev back to normal. Um, it, 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 as a sport, I, I think college football is just going to be uh, a bit sloppy for the first few bits of the season. Yeah, I mean, frankly, it almost always is that first week. So to see how exacerbated it gets will be uh, will be pretty interesting. Um, I think there's a real onus, personally, on college football coaches, heads of strength departments. Like, I, I'm sure you want your players working out and doing all the things you want them to do. But, yeah, yeah like, I, like I see wide receivers running routes on air with quarterbacks, obviously throwing footballs, like – What's the point in social distancing if you're going to do that? And I get you can't control it, but, I mean, this is like a global health crisis. So, to me, like, that's where my priority is. But if you're a football coach, and I understand, like, you maintain your job by winning football games, like, yeah, it is a, it is a weird spot to be in. Um, and we yeah. were talking about this before we came on. Uh, when guys do come back, and if it's over the summer – or I guess the start of the fall and like how they're treated is going to be like really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Like how did you, how, I guess, how do you think, is there anything programs can put in, pl in place or how do you kind of, I guess, ease back into that so you don't have strength coaches running guys into the ground who haven't been working out for the last three months? Yeah. So that's the thing is I, I would imagine they would take a, 1960s 1970s approach to camp and guys coming back like okay we we're gonna assume you're out of shape like there's no way you're able to keep up with the division one workout plan 
during all of this. Like, there's no way. So you have to assume you've got guys coming in out of shape. Uh, I think the balance then for this, these strength and conditioning programs is going to be how do we get these guys and ease them back into shape without killing them? Because no, they're, they're not going to try to – they know there's going to be a high amount of injuries if you, if you put them in a high-stress environment. Like, that's the worst thing you can do. So I would imagine – the tempo offense, for instance. Right, right. right. I, oh, my goodness. That's, that's a great point. Like, how do you run that um, and not risk injuries? Because hamstrings are going to be a little more tender coming back. Um, ankles are still going to be gaining their flexibility. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a delicate – issue coming back into it you got to ease guys in and I wouldn't be surprised if coach Wigger slows things down in terms of his offense because you can't risk you know losing your top guys like you can't have receivers running 100 routes a day you can't have and then trying to condition them at the same time it's just not going to happen so I think practices are going to end up being much slower allowing guys to work back in um, and this, like, if I'm projecting Syracuse football season right now, I'm thinking a lot of things are working against them. Um, but in the meantime, there's a hope that, well, shoot, everyone's dealing with this. Um, how do we find a way to differentiate? I can't talk to that. Differentiate ourselves. And um, I think that's going to be the big uh, moneymaker this year for Coach Baber. Yeah, you got to win the, the X's and O's game. And, I mean, that BC game, BC's got a first-year head coach, too. You know, they're working on new systems. Um, actually, I don't know how much of their spring practice I got in. They got in off the top of my head. But if, if you can get more than you're giving up, I guess, in, in some of those gains uh, as affected by conditioning or system familiarity, you can tip the scales in some of those games, I guess. But the risks of pushing guys too hard in preseason camp are extreme. And you think about it, it only took a couple of O-line injuries last year for them to be completely debilitated. Mm-hmm. You know, if you lose Aaron Service, it is going to be a bad year. Like there's yeah. no way yeah. Even if you lose, you know, Veterello or, you know, the Taj, Taj Harris is clearly your best outside receiver. You know, Syracuse is a team that doesn't have a lot of depth. So the, the risk there, to me, feels high. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see kind of what, what guys do. Uh, and then, uh, of course, what goes hand in hand with this is, are we going to have a football season uh, in 2020? And it seems like those discussions with ADs and, and um, the, the people who run the conferences, the commissioners are kind of just starting to happen. But uh, it's, it's really hard for me to imagine 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people packing into stadiums to watch college right. football. Right. I think it was the director of the World Health Organization said it's going to be at least 18 months till we have a vaccine. So even if it's a it ends up being a seasonal cyclical um, virus, even if, you know, we flatten the curve and it goes down, it can spike back up. And that's just so many people in one place. Like, I guess, what do you have you kind of started to think about that, Julian? And what do you think might be realistic? Yeah, um, I think the likely scenario is that the NCAA, because they're, again, they're trying to make money. All of these corporations are trying to make money. Having uh, worked at the bank for my uh, bit of time now, you, you learn how these uh, CEOs and CFOs tend to think and, and, and what drives them and how they're going to uh, get that next dollar and where they're going to get it from. Um, and 
the NCAA is no different. I think that they're going to end up looking for their their coin as best they can, and they're going to end up waiting for the government to allow things because what is it non-essential businesses right now yeah. that that have been sent home. So once I think that begins to open up and certain jobs are allowed to come back, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw a big push from like the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> like trying to drive like, hey, well, if we allowed to do this and this, we should, you know, just let it all happen and getting a big push uh, towards the NCAA and letting that season happen. But personally, I don't, I think that the season probably ended up being cut in half. I don't think like things are going to really start back up until uh, late September, October, if anything, if, if, if I think this thing kind of has, has a schedule, that cyclical seasonal schedule, um, I think things will be kind of starting back up around that time where I think colleges will be back open and people will be allowed to be around people again. So a uh, September, October uh, restart date doesn't uh, sound crazy to me, but um, it, it's, it's just such a unique um, experience that I don't think is uh, comparable uh, to, to anything else in college, maybe, maybe wars and such, but um there's nothing to me that's that I can think of off the top of my head that was like, you know, there was something like this back in the day and this is how everybody came back. It, it just seems like such a new thing um, and a unique thing that uh, it, it's tough to really say. But I, I think it's going to end up being a season that's cut in half. But then it's like, how does that affect the playoff? How are bowl structured? Um, it's going to be really interesting, like just across the board in sports, man. I mean, I'm like, hurt that there's nothing on right now but i'm excited to see how everything ends up like coming together um later on this year yeah yeah i'll be interested to see what the nba and the nhl do they're kind of the the, the shortest timelines for us right now do yep. they end up just playing the playoffs do they shorten the end of the season what do players look like coming back um what health risks do they have do they have empty arenas mm-hmm. Are there further spikes? You know, I, I do think that like a college football season without fans, it sounds crazy, but there's so much money in TV revenue. And frankly, if the stadiums are empty, there's even more money in TV revenue because you'll have more viewers. Yep. I think that's a plausible scenario. Maybe it's that for half of the season and then you try and put fans in. I, I still I have a still have a hard time seeing that, but maybe as more people get tested and you can you know, again, we don't. We I guess we don't fully know if people who have had it are then what kind of immunity level they have. If it's a seasonal immune, immunity or or forever. So you we're still learning so much. It's, it's only been going on for a few months. And I don't know, but to me, a, a college football season where there's no no one in the stands, like I can't imagine what that would be like for the players. But yeah, <laughs> it sounds a lot safer than letting people into the stands. That's the thing. I, I kind of side with LeBron James uh, in his comments like way back when he was saying uh, the NBA is going to play games without any fans. I'm like, you can't play the game. It, it's just not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. Uh, I, I would hate it if I had to play in front of, uh, you know, that, that one super fan go to me. You know, so. Um, it's just the PA guy. Just the PA guy. <laughs> When you can hear the PA guy, oh my gosh, for like Little League football all over again. Oh. But uh, yeah, I, I, if I was a player, I'd be like, no, what I think I we could just go ahead and shut this season down if we can't have anybody. It's, it's just not the same. The game isn't the same. It wouldn't be college football anymore. I I think the money means too much. If if you don't want to play, you don't have to play. But they'll they'll put someone out there and they'll. <laughs>
<laughs> you get your stuff. Don't worry. <laughs> we are going to find a way. That's, that's why I say I think the, the SEC especially, uh, I think they're going to be the heavy players in finding a way uh, to get people back into the stands because in the, in the South, I just think people, at least hearing like from my mom and what they've said out there, uh, people are still, and just what I've seen, people are still going out, um, not really caring for this virus. You know, everyone's like, eh, this, this is nothing. Um, down there, I think they care about the football in such a way that they, they try to make it happen as soon as possible. We'll see. It's, it really raises all sorts of, of interesting questions. And uh, one of the things going on in Syracuse now is, is the dome renovations. Mm. Syracuse has set up its schedule to give it, to give it a buffer, opening on the road at Boston College. I think two, a, few, a couple of road games to start. And then I believe Colgate at home, which can easily become a road game if you want. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> if the construction workers for the Carrier Dome are deemed – non-essential and they can't work <laughs> then the carrier dome construction gets pushed back and then like do you end up needing to have your home games in rochester or buffalo or something like it is just an absolute nightmare right now for syracuse <laughs> bring it back to bring it back to manly manly field house Oh, a couple extra yards in there, we're good well, to go. And that is how you manage your attendance. There's literally <laughs> room for like 200 people in there. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. a great seat. I, actually, they probably wouldn't give me a seat. I would probably. <laughs> you get the out of the field pass, Stephen. Yeah, great. <laughs> stand, stand in the corner. You can stand by the uh, the old weight room. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The field pass. Oh, my God. I, I, I just – yeah, I don't know how if they would play that. Um, what is the closest in Rochester? The closest stadium would they share that with? Um, what's the stadium there? Could be um, University, University, University. Yeah, University play. yeah. I mean, you can go to where I guess Albany plays. I mean, there's smaller schools, Cortland. Um, I I don't know. I don't know how many people they would want to. Again, and it depends if you if you want to try and pack a stadium, you want a bigger stadium. If you're mm -hmm. not concerned about that, then you can do manly or you can find uh, other, another local field to play on. Syracuse lacrosse plays at Cent uh, Cicero North Syracuse high school. So yeah, weird, weird. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, like you, like you just said, I think the biggest thing is going to be how do we collect as much revenue as possible. And with that roof not being done, I'm, I, there's no way they're playing that zone this year. If that's the case and they stop and they can't finish it in time for the season. Yeah, I don't know who's got the bigger headache, Dino Babers or John Wildhack. Right. <laughs> Those guys are holed up at home, you know, with their families, fretting right. over every little thing. And they're like, my professional life is like <laughs> in right? the balance. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, we do have some Twitter questions. Appreciate you guys sending them in. Just pulling them up right now. Oh, before we dive into those, have you been watching any good movies or TV during your uh, during your little lockdown over there? You know what? Um, I have been watching. I discovered Rick and Morty. Nice. <laughs> that has been uh, the the latest discovery. But um, actually, Ozark came out today, I believe. Season three um, just came out. March 27th, that's the day I believe. Yep, today. So, um, that I was again, I was cleaning up my last little bits of Rick, 
And then uh, I'm switching over to Ozark, and that's going to be my go-to uh, for the next week or so. So I'm very excited to get back to my, uh, my shows, man. Nice. Ozark's good. Yeah, I've seen the first two seasons. It felt to me like season three could either be great or it could escalate to the point of such ridiculousness that yeah, tap out. Yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's always my fear when a new one comes in. I'm like, I hope they didn't tap out this season. Please don't do it to me. It's so, with shows too, where it's like it's already getting like a little crazier and a little right, like, right. Like where they how they steer this ship. So, that, but that's the thing is, me. I you know I used to think and this probably before I started like talking to people professionally, but like I thought I was an introvert and whatnot. Like I like to stay home and <laughs> you know watch shows and hang and play video games and whatnot. But I have been going insane. I was this close to buying a dog. All those. Th- <laughs> you know? <laughs> All the stereotypes, but I've been going insane um, going through Netflix, like, uh, and Hulu accounts have been updated, no more commercials and all that. <laughs> but I've been going insane watching uh, the sayings over and over again, but um very excited for my Ozark to come back because I needed something new. It's painful out here. Yeah, I just watched The Outsider. It's a Stephen King book that they turned into a series on HBO. It's 10 episodes. Mm kind of like a mystery thriller um <clears throat> kind of sci-fi too but yeah. i thought it was really 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 good um jason bateman's actually in the first couple episodes too so <laughs> yeah check that one out. i've heard of that one it, it's outside really good yeah we watched it in like two days um so i watched that i've been watching some movies uh, i watched pan's labyrinth which was awesome i'd never seen that before um a Quiet Place, which is the John Krasinski movie. Yep, yep. I thought that was actually really, really good. I, I didn't think it was going to be because he, like, did all of it himself. Um, <laughs> but that was good. Uh, I've been watching BoJack Horseman, finally. BoJack, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, for for some reason, I could, just couldn't get into it for a while, but it's clicked. I definitely yeah. <laughs> I all the sarcastic humor. It's actually right up my alley. Yeah. So, I think that's pretty much it. Pretty much it. I finally got my parents to watch uh, Shawshank Redemption. They had oh my! You know what? I actually just saw it. Um, I want to say a few days ago, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, yes. So good. <laughs> the movie's as old as I am, so I, I guess I just missed it in that aspect. But um, yeah, I was scrolling through one day. I'm like, you know, I've heard about this movie. Uh, let me try this out. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Morgan Freeman's performance is like me, my favorite of any all time. Yeah, He's yeah, so good. Yeah, like, that was. I this was a war movie. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> like, <laughs> I would have thought so. I had heard everything about it and never knew what it was. So I'm like learning something new every day with Netflix. Yeah, she cried like five different times. <laughs> <sighs> Has to take a global health crisis to get you to watch maybe the best movie of all time. I'm telling you, we're usually outside doing stuff, man. This is a great time to catch up on all the missed movies of childhood. So, uh, Shawshank Redemption, I'm proud I found that one. I was like, where has this been all my life? I, I miss it. It's good. The rewalk value is good, too. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and I was just like, oh, you forget so many little details. It's like a two and a half hour movie, but. Right, right. Mm, I guess King Tiger or Tiger King. Is the the new hot show? 
People told me to watch it. Yeah, it's on Netflix, like seven episodes. I, I guess I don't know all of it. It's about a guy. I don't. I, I don't want to say something that's wrong, but it is, <laughs> it is the new <laughs> show. It is the show that was smart enough to time out the panel. Oh, okay. I gotta check that then. Maybe, maybe I will get to that. But now that I know season three of Ozarks out, I'm probably just gonna watch that instead. If I'm being, That's, I'm telling you, the go-to, the go-to. All right, get to some questions. Andrew Green right. got a few of them for us. First one: Which True Frosh will contribute immediately this fall? Uh, to me, the only like obvious answer is James Williams, the punter, because Syracuse yeah. needs a punter. But right. After that, I think there are a few guys like it's not having spring ball hurts because I think Javante Williams, who's a wide receiver or slot receiver, probably slot receiver, he's big enough to mm-hmm. be wide, was someone who could have maybe competed to be in the mix there. There's two starting jobs open. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much three practices does for you. I mean, you get a head start on the terminology, maybe familiarity, but it's just, you know, what yeah. I think you're losing – I think you've lost just about all of your gains from, you know, three practices. That's when things are just like the early uh, installments are just starting to make sense. The basics are just starting to make sense. And all of a sudden when you cut that core, it, it's it, it's you're going right back to square one again. So I don't think the three practices themselves are going to – going to be much more effects here but now i agree i think we talked about williams uh last time on the podcast it's about freshmen and who could who could come in right away um you know this again this is going to be a situation where obviously uh linemen who on the defensive side of the ball you want to see guys step up but uh in the case of young guys coming in i just it's going to be hard for them to be ready and i think if any if it ever if it were to happen this season it was going to be on the outside at receiver because like we've talked about before, um, the farther away you are from the line of scrimmage and the snap of the ball, the easier it's going to field. And in this case, because there's so much time missed, I think guys on the outside at receiver coming in are just at a better advantage than linemen or running backs or people who have to necessarily think more and you know process more information uh, closer to the ball. So uh, for those receivers, man, I think – if there's a guy that can stay in shape and find a way to get out on some fields and come back ready to go, like there's a just a, they're just lucky enough to live somewhere where that, that's that's possible. Um, I think that would allow guys to, like younger freshmen to get on the field. Otherwise, I just think that the learning curve is going to be so steep this season. Um, getting guys back and installing, I think I think it's going to you're going to end up with your uh, most senior and guys who understand the most um, out on the field this season, just because it's going to be so hard for freshmen to pick it all up and then get on the field and play. Yeah, I generally agree. Latari Kinsler is their highest rated guy. He was hurt for the first three spring practices, but he was listed as a defensive end. He's not yeah. playing defensive end with the size he's at in a three-three-five. Maybe they move him to the strong side linebacker and find a little package for him. You can use his yeah. length as kind of a third down package kind of guy. I don't know. We didn't obviously have any time to see him. He didn't practice, but he was someone who has the speed and athleticism to make an immediate impact. The question is, do they see him adding value there? And frankly, Steve Linton looked really good at strong side linebacker. And Aaron Service was saying he had a really hard time getting out, you know, in front of him, which is mm. which is kind of natural. I mean, he's two twenty five. You know, how's he going to do shedding blocks in the run game? Of course. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but if 
if that's a role you maybe would have seen Latari filling, do you already have that in a better better form in in Lynn? I don't know. Who knows? It's 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 there's so many ifs that go along with all of these questions that it's like yeah yeah difficult to answer. But I but I understand. You know, we always care which freshmen are going to play. Uh, another question from Andrew: Why has Dino Babers decided to go with the three-three-five defense? We've done a couple of shows on the three-three-five, but it's something that he's been interested in for the last three or four years. I want to say he visited San Diego State after his second season in Syracuse, so around 2017. It was before Danny Gonzalez left uh, for Arizona State with Tony White. So he's been interested in it. I think it's different. It's it's something that teams need to prepare for at least a little bit, not something that they're going to they're going to get different looks than they get from a lot of other teams. So some of the stuff you need to spend extra time preparing for, you're not going to – some of the stuff you work on in preseason camp doesn't uh, quite carry over. Um, and I think it masks some of your personnel deficiencies in regard to size. You can, certainly. You can move people around to try and get your best 11 guys on the field. Yes, certainly. So those are some of my thoughts on that. And then last thing from Andrew, what will we see in this defense – that we, I'm assuming he said have seen under Dino. I'm going to say haven't seen under Dino. Um, I, I just think more variance, more pressures, uh, more motion before the snap. Um, the, the idea is to confuse the opposing quarterback and, and wreak havoc. Uh, yep. You know, it's not prevent based. You're going to see them <laughs> some big plays, I think. But I think the idea is you, you create some too, and if you can couple that, with a, a quick hitting offense, you can tire out a defense more effectively. Yeah, yeah. and I, just to add to that, uh, I guess my only fear of this 3 through 5 because the more and more I've done homework on it, um, I, I knew it, uh, you know, just from an outside perspective, because it was, it was a sub-package for us when I was, you know, Coach Schaefer and everything. Um, but there, there are variances where I've seen 3 through 5s who – West Virginia's 3 through 5, for example, with Holgerson. Yeah. Um, I felt like theirs was uh, a prevent-like defense. I don't know if it's the Big 12. It's just how they play it for whatever reason. It just seemed like it, it was much more of a – a coverage defense than an aggressive attacking defense. And um, my fear as implemented with coach Babers is that this one comes in and it's the aggressive one that Syracuse, you know, has seen before. Um, because when that uh, the Tampa two came in, uh, especially in 2016, it was very laid back, very soft. They had to implement a lot more uh man emphasis zone coverages to tighten coverages and all that. Uh, so I guess my only fear with this 3-5 is that uh, it comes in as too coverage focused. And my hope is that they do find ways to utilize in a way that is, is the pressure based, a uh, little bit more of a man emphasis, tighter coverages uh, defense, because the ACC is, it's, we all know this, it's a spread out conference. There's so much speed on the outside now. Uh, the game is, you know, become so much more fluid where uh, teams are operating much more on the perimeter now. So um, if you have a 3-5 defense, you have to, have to, have to force the ball out quickly. You've got to make the quarterback make quick decisions. Otherwise, these offenses are so uh, fast and developed now that it's hard for defense to keep up. So uh, if, if the one thing we're all looking for in this three three five this year, it's it's the hope that it's the aggressive type that we've seen from Coach Schaefer rather than the more laid back and relaxed coverage emphasis that we see uh, throughout the Big Twelve. 
Yeah, Tony White, the new defensive coordinator, tweeted out a picture today of the defense, and the, the text on it is fast, physical, aggressive. So that's what they're going for. <laughs> Again, I, I, I think you've got to be ready, especially with all everything that goes into this season and what's going on now. It's probably going to give up some big plays, but yeah. they're also probably going to make some big plays. And especially in the secondary, they've got guys who are capable of that. And yeah. No, like I, I fully expect growing pains with a few amazing plays sprinkled in. Yeah, and if you got Trill and Iffy as your corners, which is where they were working, you know, you can take some more risks in the box if you're comfortable with those guys on islands, as, as you should be, frankly. And, you know, we'll see where they, they use Cisco. He was working at um, a boundary safety position. I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up moving him back uh, to yeah. the deep third of the fields. We'll see. There's probably a bunch of guys they want to play at a bunch of different positions, and frankly, they're not going to get that chance. Yeah. Um, all right, moving down, Stephen. Uh, spring is gone. In your opinions, do you guys think there will be a 2020 college football season, and how will the lack of spring football hurt everyone else in the ACC if there is a season? So we already addressed the first part. We kind of gave our, our thoughts on what's going to happen. Um, how do you think spring football hurts hurts other teams, Julian? And uh, yeah, other teams in the ACC. Um, you know, I think it hurts teams just in general in two aspects. One, uh, teams that lack depth. Because that, you know, when you're – like Syracuse is a great example. When you recruit, you know, you know, pretty mid-tier for throughout, you know, your general recruiting seasons, um, depth is always going to be a concern for you. It's something that we've seen in Syracuse year after year. Um, so you worry about your linemen. Do they come back in shape? Are guys in general going to come back in shape? How much are you going to have to rely on your depth this season if you get early injuries? Because those are going to happen throughout the country this year. They're going to happen throughout the ACC. So depth is going to be a major, major concern for lots of programs across the country. And, of course, that favors uh, the Clemsons and uh, maybe even the Florida States. It's typically the Florida States or Miami. So, you know, teams that we expect to have um, – depths of talent um so i think this, if anything it just allows clemson to yeah. separate a bit more than usual uh but if anything else for the rest of the conference i think it's pretty it evens out where they're going to be concerned about depth um and the other part is development um the young guys that you have coming in the guys that you've been uh and we talked about this the guys that um were making that transition into starting roles this year uh, they're all of a sudden stunted in a way that no other group typically is. So uh, twofold, where just depth is going to be a major concern and then how uh, young guys develop. So teams who are relying on uh, new guys to step in this year who are replacing a lot of starters, I think those teams to take more of a step back and those teams with less depth take more of a step back than teams that weren't really dealing with those issues. So I'm sure Clemson, pulls ahead because they have the depth um, and then teams that weren't replacing that many guys um, ends up that much more ahead in the ACC pack because they don't have to worry about bringing new guys in and getting them developed and ready to go for the season. So I think that's how it will end, end, impact in the ACC this year. Yeah, I agree. I look forward to Dabo Sweeney playing the underdog card when they're <laughs> 10 and 0 because right. with the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> but they had to go through that. Everyone else in the world has had to deal with it. Manufactured uh, stresses, man. <laughs> uh, all right, we've got a couple from James Austin. Hope you're doing well, buddy. It's good to hear from you. 
do you see a new slash expanded role for Nikeem Johnson? Uh, I think expanded. I don't know about new. I, I mean, I think he's going to play slot receiver. Uh, you maybe have formations where he's the only guy on a side. He's certainly capable of that. Uh, but I, I think he's, he has his skill set. He's very, very fast, uh, usually pretty reliable hands. Um, someone who knows the system. Him and Taj Harris are the only two guys who have played extensive reps at wide receiver, live game snaps in, in this offense. Everyone else is going to be looking to them in that room, um, as well as the tight ends, frankly. I think you know Luke Benson has been split out, Aaron Hackett as well. Uh, so th- th- I think those guys will be leaned on. But for Nikeem, I, I think he's got a chance to, to have a really big year. Uh, I actually heard that he, he was looking really good in the winter uh, in the, the voluntary throwing sessions. Um, you know, he did not have the year that I'm sure he wanted last year. And there's a multitude of things that went wrong with the Syracuse offense last year. Uh, oh. but, but, yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to expect him to, to be more productive uh, if you're asking me who I think the breakout guy in that room is, I think we already talked about this, but I think it's got to be Taj Harris. I think he's yep. the talented guy in the room. Uh, that may have even been true while Tristan was there. Um, it's just getting on the same page with Tommy and, uh, you know, maintaining a cool head. Frankly, uh, they're going to have to work through some stuff if there is a season. And, uh, you know, there was, there was some not so encouraging body language <laughs> last year. Again, yeah. <laughs> That offense. <laughs> Another one from James. Has there been any news about the transfer offensive lineman from Florida, Chris Bleich? Dude, there hasn't been news about anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> brutal. I sent an email request to SU if we could talk to Dino or any players a couple of weeks ago, and I have not gotten an answer yet other than they were on vacation last week. It is now the end of the week after that. So uh, I, I don't know. I would, I would assume the NCAA has bigger issues right now than to work through uh, those eligibility requests, but I don't know for a fact that it hasn't been resolved since we spoke with Dino three weeks ago at this point. But, um, yeah, no news there. I know Chris was optimistic about it, but you just don't know until it happens. And when I asked Dino about it, he didn't expect to be hearing anytime soon. He loves to take that shuttle so- subtle shot at the NCAA. Uh, Andrew Graham hope you're doing well buddy Daily Orange reporter have Julian Wiggum talk about the time he tried to tackle Leonard Fournette oh man (laughs) he's awful lucky that you're you're stuck in Jersey City this bold (laughs) man that's crazy. He takes shots at me all the time. Wants me to describe my worst experiences, man. Um, but it, it was just, uh, it was funny because uh, we were just talking about what it's like to tackle um, like guys who are cute and much bigger than you on the field. And uh, we just had this one coach um, who, and it was his assistant DB coach with us, and he was convinced all week that one of us was going to get hurt trying to tackle Leonard Fournette, right? So (laughs) it was the weirdest meeting we ever had where he's standing up in front of us and he was like, Jawan is 115 pounds. Jawan is 115 pounds. Cordy is 125. How are we going to tackle him? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just sitting there like, what kind of conversation is this? And and why are we being – told how we're gonna get stepped on in the chest by this 
large, massive running back. So we get into the game, and of course, he's. And I give Cordy 110% like credit. He did a great job on him. But I see. I just can remember one time. I think it was like a pitch toss to the outside, and as a corner, your primary run responsibility all the time is outside and just keep him from going outside if he goes in and goes back outside you did your job safety missed right we're not they don't pay you don't got paid to tackle so i see him coming and we locked eye contact like that rarely happens where you truly make eye contact with the guy <laughs> but he made it was just pure like oh yeah you want this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Let me keep my outside leverage, man. <laughs> so, of course, he makes a jab step outside. Like, safety either came or he just decided he really wanted it. And I'm like, all right, dude. <clears throat> this isn't going to go how you think it's going to go. I've seen the highlight tape already. <laughs> I'm putting a shoulder into you. Of course, he gets there faster than I expect. I tried to put a shoulder down, and his thigh felt like a truck hitting me in the side of the neck. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing right now? Just mad at the entirety of my defense. <laughs> Why have you not tackled this man much earlier? Um, and, of course, I'm just hanging on for dear life, hoping he falls. And I think it was um, either Cordy or what year is this, 2015, so maybe uh, – Durrell, I can't remember. One of the safeties comes over and finally knocks him out. I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't put me in that situation again. <laughs> All I hear from my coaches, great job outside in Wick. <laughs> and I'm like, this is terrible. But uh, I, I do not wish that on anybody. Uh, whenever there's a 60 to 70 pound weight difference running in front of you, um, always, always, always go low. <laughs> Good story. No, I got to thank Andrew for that one. That was man. <laughs> He just enjoys listening to me relive trauma, man. I got to I got to throw some hands with him soon. <laughs> I would like to see that. <laughs> it's my guy. Last one from Chari Bianker. Uh are coaches allowed to do video sessions with players? Could Tony White theoretically use a chalkboard to show concepts? As you said earlier, like, I suspect the coaches are doing as much as they can. Uh, I don't know exactly what that is right now. Um, I would guess yes. I don't know the meeting limitations during the spring. Like, um, obviously, you space out the practice days with those days where you go over meetings. So, I don't know exactly what limitations they're working under. I have a request into SU asking what everybody is doing. Uh, I have not heard back, but uh, we'll write a story on it when they tell me <laughs> what they're doing. So keep an eye out for that, Chari. Thanks for the question. It's a good question. Um, I'm sure they're doing whatever they can. But, uh, I'm curious to know what that is as well. I think that's all we got for the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to try and do a couple more podcasts like this as long as this one comes out okay. Uh, maybe some guests. You know, we've, uh, we've got plenty of time on our hands. <laughs> we can break down season three of Ozark, possibly. <laughs> there it is. Syracuse Football Ozark Podcast. I'm with it. Nice. Oh. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, please go do that. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Everyone stay safe, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>